Welcome back to Ghostbusters Minute. Ghostbusters Minute is the fan podcast that chronicles, overanalyzes, worships, praises the classic 1984 film Ghostbusters. I'm Kyle. I'm Brady. And Brady, how are you doing today? I'm swell. You're swell? I'm so swell. It's a Friday. Friday feels like a swell day, doesn't it? That's true. And we had a awesome time yesterday talking to Christopher Stewart. Man, we really did. I mean, what a, what a cool guy. A very cool guy. Just a wealth of knowledge of, of Ghostbusters. And just all around a general nice guy. A nice mm-hmm. dude to talk to. But today, we are going to be talking about minute number 19 of Ghostbusters. That's right. And uh, it's another slow burn minute. Not a lot of dialogue in here. In fact, I don't know that there's any dialogue in this entire minute. Maybe just a little bit of off-screen type stuff or not, not yeah, in the moment Yeah, mostly just uh, sound design. Sound design, yeah, but some good stuff happens in this minute, so if you're ready, I'm ready, let's jump right into it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Minute number 19. Now, in the previous minute, we just saw Dana Barrett talking to Louis Tully in the hallway. Dana is in her apartment, and she has just watched the Ghostbusters TV commercial. At minute number 19, Dana turns off the TV, which a ghost had turned on, and takes her groceries into her seafoam green kitchen. At 1914, Dana takes her produce out of her brown paper bag, including a Stay Puff marshmallow bag. At 1920, Dana turns to put some groceries, and the camera dollies into a carton of eggs that she has just removed. The carton begins to shake, and at 1928, it pops open. At 1934, as Dana's attention is diverted to the the eggs in the carton begin to shake. At 1939, in the same shot, an egg cracks open, spilling, spilling its yolk onto the counter. A few more eggs crack open and spill onto the counter as well. At 1941, hearing the eggs cracking, Dana looks up in shock. At 1944, the spilt eggs begin to cook on the counter surface. Dana walks over to the counter in shock. At 1953, she watches the eggs fry on the counter. Dana hears a sound coming from her refrigerator. At 1959, Dana approaches her growling fridge. And that does it for minute number 19 of Ghostbusters. Again, as we said, really no dialogue in this at all. It's just Sigourney Weaver kind of reacting to uh, some weird noises. And it's it's a lot of uh, tension and scene building. Yeah, it's a slow build of all the, uh, you know, just un- unrest that's going on in, in her apartment. And weird stuff going on, yeah, in the scene as well. It's um, This is not like a normal poltergeist haunting. Where, you know, you hear people that have experiences with poltergeist, the ghost wants to come in, allegedly, I have to say allegedly, legally I have to say allegedly, I don't <laughs> want the uh, all the poltergeist out there suing us, but um, when a poltergeist haunting happens, it's usually disruptive things around the house. Uh, a lot of violent banging of things, doors slamming closed, uh, you know, like lights turning on and off, a lot of things to disrupt or frighten the, the homeowner. In uh, this one... It's clearly poltergeist activity because things are moving around, eggs are cracking, but you don't really hear of stuff like psychokinetic activity, like you know, eggs frying on a counter. That's that's kind of like movie magic type stuff right there. Yeah, but it's, it's pretty it, close it, to crossing over. Yeah, it's a very effective gag for the movie to have the mm-hmm. eggs pop open and fry. And um, so, do you know how they did the the effect of the yeah, eggs cracking I do, open? Actually, it was um, right underneath the counter. It was a, basically a sort of stove. It was a hot plate, and the eggs were cut just enough on the bottom of the shell that when hit with compressed air from underneath, they would actually explode and then start frying immediately upon hitting the, uh, making contact with the surface. So it was a pretty neat way to basically just fry some eggs. 
So it was like a slate counter that had a cooking yeah. device underneath it, correct? And if you apparently look at the tiles on the uh, countertop, you can see which ones are like a little bit darker. Oh, it's just those. like a separation between yeah. the two? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I bought a new dishwasher tonight and I had to go to the appliance store to look for it. And you know, why my wife was kind of going over the, uh, warranty details. I let her take care of that kind of thing. Cause I would screw it up. I walked around and looked at refrigerators and stoves and stuff like that. And, um, every stove that I've ever owned has the coil type heater on it. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Uh, that's kind of a relic of the past. Now everything is like Dana Barrett's countertop. It's just like a black surface with no separation between what's going on. It's just, it just heats up on its own. So I wonder if this was kind of an early version of what those stoves are like today. It could have been. So just to jump back into the last minute for a second, uh, when Lewis mentions that she left the TV on, I mean, if I'm not mistaken, this is the first uh, mention of ghosts in the building. Yeah. Uh, you know, the building is slowly becoming sort of the hub of all the paranormal activity in the city and that's the first uh mention of it so whenever she gets in the ghostbusters commercial is on i'm wondering if there's any sort of i don't know reasoning behind that happy accident i think i I think if the ghost had the ghost was just the ghost excuse me the building is super conducted with paranormal activity at this point right so the ghost is probably just turning on tvs and doing all sorts of other poltergeist activity We, we don't know if it's to draw her to the refrigerator door which has the staircase up to the the temple behind it mm-hmm. possibly because Zul wanted to possess her at that point so maybe these were like breadcrumbs to try to get her into the kitchen That's a good point yeah but i don't think that the ghost had any intention of the ghostbusters commercial yeah it'd be kind of counterproductive know? yeah um, and uh, i think it's funny that lewis you know says he tried to climb out on the ledge to turn the tv off that if they're on floor 22 that means he scaled the wall 22 floors up on a new york skyscraper i just I think that's hilarious. And they're on opposite sides of the hallway, so he probably went around the exterior of the building yeah. as well. So if you count that into effect, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of people like, oh, there's a jumper up there. And he was probably like, no, I'm just going to disconnect your cable. By the way, by the way, he's going to disconnect your cable. Why does she have rabbit air antennas on her TV? Right? Yeah. The well, real mystery of Ghostbusters. In 1984, cable was not what it is today. Now you've got, you know, like built-in menus in your cable boxes and stuff like that. I remember back in 84, 85 when we still had a TOCOM cable box at the house. Uh, my parents called it a Disney box. It wasn't a cable box. It was because the, the, the Disney channel was the driving force to actually get cable <laughs> in the house. So it was a Disney box for until up until I was in like high school. And I think I referred to it as a Disney box to some girl I liked one time. And she was like, what are you talking about? Yeah. That's not just cool. Heard, like, tires. Nirvana is cool, yeah. not Disney. And I was like, oh, okay, well, yeah. And thus began a long storied history of me <laughs> repressing my love for Disney princess films around women until we get to today. And uh, you can openly flaunt that and it's okay. It's like, oh, yeah, I know all about Anna and Elsa. Let me tell you. Yeah. So uh, anyway, uh, cable was not what it used to be. Or, or cable is not, was not then what it is now. So it's a possibility that she still might have rabbit ear antennas on her TV for if the cable ever goes out so she can get over the air stations. Yeah, and we couldn't really find out what kind of TV it was, but yeah, yeah, you and I tried extensively. Yeah. We did notice that it does have a nice wood grain on it. Yeah, which you know, was the, really hot in the eighties. Fake wood paneling was all over everything, everywhere. Uh, I have that old uh, Atari at my house, and it's got fake wood paneling on it. And uh, you know, in a minute, Dana Barrett's going to open up her refrigerator, and we see fake wood paneling on the inside. You wouldn't catch that now. Now everything's glass and steel. Yeah. You know, but in the eighties, you also you see a lot of like pink in her place like pink uh yeah. furniture and everything you saw like pink wallpaper everywhere mm-hmm. back in the day she's got that so, yeah i don't very 80s i don't know is it uh i really don't know what the color is it's 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 a it's an offshoot of pink whatever the actual yeah like salmon or something like that and then she's got seafoam green 
inside of her kitchen. And those colors actually play off of each other really well. But did you notice what she's wearing? It's, no. It's oddly contemporary. Like, besides her haircut, she could wear what she was wearing there and around today, and it would be, you know, like fashion of the common era. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's got this, like, purple and pink and gray... Uh, scarf on and then like a gray dress and a gray belt and gray shoes. Uh, but it, I, I found it to be very contemporary what she was wearing. So did you know that the character of Dana Barrett originally uh, was, I know that we talked to Christopher yesterday and he kind of informed us on the idea that she was originally supposed to be a dancer in the movie and was mm-hmm. not a cellist. Yeah. I remember that. We can take that back a little bit further. Her first appearance in the screenplay, she was actually not human. She was an alien. Really? Yeah, she was a fugitive alien from another planet who came down with another alien, and they're looking to adapt to, excuse me, they could be interdimensional beings. I think with Ghostbusters it was interdimensional beings, so maybe they're not aliens from another planet, but they're from like Section Z or something like that. So they cross over, and they're looking for some way to fit in. They see a TV commercial for Diet Coke or Diet Cola, and there's a very thin person and a very large person in it. And Dana Barrett takes on the form of the thin person. The other being takes on the, the larger wow. person. Yeah. Uh, so then there's they wanted to make her the love interest for Peter because it would be funny if he was, you know, the whole time this Lothario and then he ends up hooking up with a warthog creature. And he was going to wake up in bed with her at one point the next morning, see this warthog, and that would be the joke. I'm, so ca- th- I'm kind of glad we got what we got. Well, they felt that it was too comedic and not enough actually romantic. And this was, you know, in the I think you can make a movie nowadays without a love storyline. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like a B-plot of a love story, but back in the 80s, everything had to have some sort of romantic interest for the hero. Was there any kind of love story in the 2016 Ghostbusters? I can't remember. Well, Aaron did like Kevin, but yeah. she was kind of like awkwardly approaching him, but nothing really ever came of that. And I did read that um, uh, Holtzman, and forgive me, I forget Melissa McCarthy's character's name. Mm-hmm. Originally, they were going to be lovers. Okay. But the studio came down and said, no, you know, we're not going to do that. But there's still some... some um, undertones in it that Holtzman is a lesbian. Mm-hmm. Uh, she has a few lines there at the end, but you don't really get anything beyond that in your romantic character. So you're right. Yeah. Like common, era, uh, a modern movie, there's no real love yeah, story. That in wasn't it. Yeah. There. You don't have to have that all the time okay. these days. So, but that was really weird that she was going to be an alien that yeah. I'm, I'm very yeah. glad we got what we got. You know, I'm really glad that they showed enough restraint with this movie. If I was Dan Aykroyd and this was my passion project and I brought it to Ivan Reitman, he's like, no, 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 we have to change this and this and this and this. I don't know that I wouldn't get my feelings hurt and run away from the project. Yeah. You know, well, I mean, they're artists and they, they understand, you know, it's a, for the betterment of the piece. Well, and it's, it's a, it's a, it's a commercial piece. It's, it's for commerce wise. Yeah. So I think that they probably smelled money on this thing and said, let's go ahead and refine this. But uh, that's one of those things that's like, oh, man, I'm, that's, that's, there's a few changes in this. I would like to see some version of the Ghost Smasher script because it sounds so crazy, Yeah. but I don't know that I would like it. Mm-hmm. Did you see Jordawaski's Dune? No, I never have. Do you know what I'm talking about? So um, Alejandro Jodorowsky is a uh, Chilean filmmaker, and I'm saying this, and he's probably actually Mexican, and I apologize if I'm getting that confused. And he made these movies like uh, Holy Mountain, El Topo, Santa Sangre. He does very out there, very bizarre uh, pieces. You have to see Holy Mountain if you see anything. It's just so weird, but it's beautiful. It's gorgeous. At one point, he wanted to make Dune into a movie. Have you ever seen Dune? 
Bits and pieces. Okay. Dune has never really been done true justice. I think maybe there was a BBC version of it that was pretty good, but the I like parts of the David Lynch version, but a lot of people felt it, it did the it didn't do the book justice. Jordawaski wanted to make this insane, crazy version of it that he hired H.R. Giger to come in and work on it and do all this artwork for it. And eventually a lot of that artwork and a lot of people involved in it uh, went on to do other movies like Alien and I'm sure some of them ended up working on Ghostbusters. But when you hear Jordawaski talk about this movie, you see a person with a lot of passion uh, and a lot of love for what his interpretation of Dune was, even though he didn't actually read the book. He had someone explain to him what it was. But when you start putting in your mind together what this movie would have been, it would have been terrible. It would have been an awful scatterbrain all over the place movie. And even though the David Lynch one kind of let it down, I'm glad, I'm glad that's what we got instead of it all falling mm-hmm. apart with Jordawaski. That's kind of what I feel about Ghost Smashers is it sounds like all these interesting pieces, but when you look at it, when you step back and look at all that as a whole, you're like, this would probably not be a good movie, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. But it'd be cool if maybe it came out as like a comic book or animated one day or something like that. So Dana's apartment looks like it was probably pretty expensive. It's a corner apartment. And we see her go out on her balcony later during the magic scene. Uh, and then the whole, it gets blown up at that point, but that apartment would probably cost a lot of money to live in these days, a corner apartment like that. And her kitchen is actually very roomy. So for a New York apartment with the art deco design, I I, I know we said something like a cellist would be pulling down like in the hundred thousands of a year, but like that apartment looks like even in 1984 would have been super expensive to have. But okay. So we see her outside during the magic scene. Uh, which is interesting because we actually, that's the only other time in the movie that you see an advertisement for Stay Puft Marshmallows. It's on the side of a building and it's kind of hidden as all the lights are coming up out of the city yeah. from the mm-hmm. sky. And the other time we see Stay Puft Marshmallows is here in the kitchen right in just here, a second. Yeah. yeah, which is kind of a really clever way to, it's not actual uh, product placement because there's no such thing as uh, Stay Puft Marshmallows except for the White Fudge Marshmallow Twinkies, which we'll be reviewing tomorrow in our Patreon episode. And I have to say, c'est magnifique. Yeah, so it's it's neat. There's a little, you know, indication as to what Stay Puft Marshmallows are twice there in the movie before, you know, we see Mr. Stay Puft come to life. So yeah. it's cool that they would, um, you know, drop in those little bits of... It's 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 world building. Yeah, we, yeah, yeah, exactly, world building. You know what's really weird about this movie is I always thought at the end of the movie, the first time I saw the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man as a kid, I kind of thought he was the Michelin Man. Yeah. The Michelin Tire Man, because they, they look a lot alike each... They look a lot alike... And I'm sure there was some um, influence on his final design. But when people were watching that movie and Ray says, it's the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man, if you didn't catch those little things they threw in in the movie, would mm-hmm. you just be like, the what and the who guy? You know? Yeah. Like, all of a sudden, there's this big, fat, white, marshmallow sailor guy walking down New York. Yeah. And- I mean, right after that, Ray explains what Stay Puft is, Mr. Stay Puft. But um, I th- think go ahead. possibly people would have just been like, folding over in half with laughter because it's such an absurd thing to see this this kaiju Godzilla type, but it's this giant happy marshmallow dude stepping on everything that they probably didn't have time to process that this was some sort of... So you're saying that it would have been more helpful if they had caught the... No, I'm I'm just saying it might have been a little bit of a shock to kind of like this in-world thing that's like, let's say we're watching Ghostbusters 2016, but instead of Stay Puft Marshmallow, it's a Boom Boom Cola guy. And we okay. just see like the advertisement. I just made a boom boom cola. I don't know what it is, but maybe in in a in a movie it would be a, a cola that people drink, right? Yeah. So if we're not seeing people drink boom boom cola constantly, it's not in our faces. Would we catch on when this giant soda can 
rolls around a corner and starts rolling over cars. So at that point, they've communicated to the audience in world in some very vague ways. But Ray does have that moment where he talks about burning marshmallows or, you know, roasting marshmallows around the campfire. Yeah, so just in case you didn't catch those references, he explains it for you. Yeah, you probably know if you saw it. I mean, I guess he, he looks like marshmallows, but I don't know that my mind would have immediately made that connection. I don't know. But either way. Hilarious scene. And we get a little bit of foreshadowing here with those tape-off marshmallows and the and the eggs frying. So that's pretty cool. So do you have anything else for this minute? No, that's about it. Okay, I think I'm pretty much wapped, wapped up. Go with me. Wapped <laughs> up as well. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Everybody have a great weekend. We will see you back here on Monday with minute number 20 where we get to actually see into the etheric plane, a.k.a. Dana Barrett's fridge. So to everybody out there, I'm Kyle. I'm ready. Have a great weekend. And we're here to remind you that death is but a door, time a window. We'll be back. Ghostbusters Minute is a fan-supported podcast. To become a supporter, visit us on Patreon at patreon.com slash gbminute. You can also find us on social media at facebook.com slash ghostbustersminute, twitter.com slash gbminute, Instagram at ghostbustersminute, and visit our website at ghostbustersminute.com, where you can find merchandise such as t-shirts, stickers, and free balloons for the kids. Balloons subject to not being free nor real. Our theme song is Ectoplasm by Audionautics, which is licensed under the Creative Commons Attributions License.